Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one best-selling book, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Then call my office at 662-844-1414 and order my new book, The Code Breaker. What's up on a Friday? I am Brian Scott Rippey, my co-conspirator. As always, is Colin Brister. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Friday, August 23rd. 23rd. Yeah, who, who cares? Um, It's Mailbag Friday. It is the people's holiday. It is back. It's the last Mailbag Friday without football for the foreseeable future. Um, We've got some basketball news, some fall camp stuff. As Ole Miss wraps up fall camp, I guess today they may scrimmage tomorrow. I actually don't know their schedule. I'm sure we'll soon find out. Um, some stuff to get through there. And then, of course, your mailbag questions, as usual, pretty much dictate the show as you are driving the show today. So, what's up, man? Not much. Not much in the uh, greater Jackson area. Traffic down here is not fun, man. Uh, yeah, it's a little different than Oxford, I guess. Um, it's really <laughs> the only semi-city this state has. Um, yeah. So, traffic can get bad at, at, at some points. Um, it's really mostly just County Line and Lakeland are... Uh, are the two ones that seem to get backed up the most. I don't really have many problems coming through other than that. Occasionally, if you catch, like, the rush hour on the interstate coming in to, like, downtown and back and forth. But usually that's not uh, not too bad. Yeah, I got on Lakeland yesterday. and did not want to be there approximately 10 seconds after getting on it. Yeah, Lakeland's just kind of crowded, but the traffic's usually, like, like the, the speed, I guess, is flowing okay. County line is the... Um, is the bane of my existence. I, I avoid driving on that at all costs. Our uh, offices are on County Line Road. Um, yes, they so are. Whenever I have to go to the Jackson office, um, you don't have to go much on County Line Road because it's literally right past the Hilton, at the, like that Farm Bureau building. So you don't have to go much down it. But I try to use that as uh, as little as possible. As I I absolutely despise County Line. Uh, it's too small, too much traffic. No one there knows how to drive. It's a uh, it's a complete shit show. I, I'm not a fan. Um, but yeah, those are really the two main roads. The rest of them will just break your car and bend your wheels with potholes. Um, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, because Jackson's crumbling infrastructure is uh, it's something to uh, it's quite the sight. It is uh, it it's it's not great, not great. Um, so we start with fall camp. Yeah, so there really wasn't a whole lot to report from Wednesday's practice, which I know was the last time. Uh, I, we recorded a podcast right before that kind of got going. Um, not really a whole lot to report. Ole Miss kind of is what it is at this point in fall camp. The the same questions remain. Um, you know, the same. You know, they're you. Know, you're not going to really know anything. It's like it's like we've I've talked to this into the ground with like three or four different people over the last little bit. It's like you get asked all the time. It's like, well, how do they look? And it's like I don't know. They're going up against. No one. They're going up against air. We don't see the scrimmages. We can only kind of gather bits and pieces from the coaches. You aren't going to really know what this team looks like. It could very well suck. It could be pretty good. I have no idea. But you're not. No one's going to know till August thirty first. You can maybe get an idea of the pieces that they'll use to either be good or be shitty. But that's really about it. Yeah, I mean, you're going to know in eight days in about five hours. Um, there's just not. I mean, at this point in fall camp, it is what it is. Except that kind of really throughout the fall camp. You'll know when they play Memphis. Uh, there's just not a ton going on right now from a, a breakdown perspective. Um, no, I'm pretty sure we addressed this on uh, Wednesday's show. Um, but I, uh, you know, I mean, Alex Gibbons is 
every day that goes by seems less and less likely he's going to play. Um, he was kind of doing the same non-contact thing, doing individual stuff off to the side on Wednesday. Matt Luke said he probably knows something for sure on Givens' status on, uh, I guess, by Monday. Because, I mean, if he hasn't practiced or done anything by Monday, it's really – he's played enough football to where it's not really – that's not really an issue. It's a major conditioning issue at this point. Um, so, I just – I would lean no. I mean, I would if you told me to guess right now if he's going to play, I would lean no, and I think best-case scenario, he plays like 20 snaps. I mean, he hasn't done anything in over a month. He hasn't done anything conditioning-wise. He's still doing individual work with no pads, and the game's eight days away. So I'm going to lean no. I guess that could all change if I go to practice here in an hour and he's back at practice today. But uh, I'm going to lean he doesn't play, or he plays in a very, very limited capacity. Well, if he doesn't play, then the question becomes, well, is he going to play against Arkansas? And you have to ask yourself, well, what difference does a week make? Um, because if he's out for Memphis, I think there's probably a chance he's out for Arkansas, too. Um, yeah, maybe. I, th- I just think it's a matter. I think I think I would be surprised if he missed more than one game. Um, because I think in the next week, like, he'll kind of finish, like, the recovery process and get back to it. I think, like, it's one of those things where I, I would be surprised. Like, I think he'd be physically ready to play by next week, it at least sounds like, but it's a conditioning deal. So if they can kind of get him in shape over the next week, I don't I don't foresee him necessarily. I guess he could miss a couple games, but I think I would be surprised if he missed more than the Memphis game. I just well, don't think if you get him back on the... If you get him back on the practice field starting next Tuesday or Wednesday, you just don't have much time to get him in football shape. Right, and I understand that, but can you play 10 or 15 snaps without being in football shape? I think that, I mean, I don't know the answer to that question, but I think if you can, you get that out of him, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I think if he's at all available to play, at least they're going to try, or they may just say to hell with it, we're going to ride in with what we got and make sure his back's okay and give him another week. I, I understand both schools of thought. Sure, yeah. Um. So, really, aside from that, there wasn't much going on. We talked to Jacob Peeler, who pointed out one of the interesting things he pointed out was Ole Miss had, yeah, like kind of the three headed monster at wide receiver last year, but absolutely no depth. Um, once DK Metcalf went out, they really they went into that Vanderbilt game with four receivers. Lodge was playing on an ankle injury that he probably shouldn't have even really played on and was going around limping out there. And that kind of. That kind of question was spawned in response to asking. He, I think he was asked how many receivers he wants to play in a given game, and he said seven to nine, which was a little surprising to me. But uh, if they can get to that level, he wants to have, I guess, a little more depth to make it through a season. Because to his point, last year they literally had four dudes, and that was about it. <laughs> yeah, four dudes that they really counted on. I wonder how close they are to having seven to nine guys ready to go for Memphis. Um, I would imagine they're in the five to seven range at this point, yeah. and maybe trying to get two more. Um, I mean, I think they could. Wait, Dennis Jackson, Jaden Jackson are two guys. They're a couple freshmen that are kind of on the cusp of maybe getting that playing time. Same thing with Mingo. I think Mingo will play a decent bit this year. But I mean, if you're going down the list, it's Sanders, Moore, Battle, probably Gregory. Um, Tyler Knight, if you want to count it as a receiver, I think he'll line up as a slot enough to count. So that's five. And then that's really kind of where I'm getting at in the sense that, like, did I say Elijah Moore? Yeah. Okay. No, no, you didn't. Wait. <laughs> so we've got we've – got, okay, we've got to do this again. So Battle, Sanders, Moore, Gregory, Knight. Yeah. And then that's kind of how many freshmen can you trust to play? You know, Dennis Jackson would be six, Jaden Jackson would be seven, Mingo would be eight, and then Jordan Jernigan would be nine. I, I think that's kind of 
what they're looking at or looking to work with. If they can get all those guys in the rotation and contributing, then I think that's an ideal thing because as Peeler mentioned, you're going to go through a grind of a season and go through injuries and stuff. Last year, they didn't really have the luxury, and some of it was a scholarship deal. Some of it was not having guys available to play like Gregory wasn't necessarily ready or available. They were still trying to do the red shirt thing with Miles Battle, although he got his four games in. Um, so they they need to add more depth at receiver, and I think they feel like they have that, even though if maybe the front line, the front lineup or the, the starters they run out maybe don't necessarily hold the same teeth as they did a year ago, because you just really aren't going to replace a DK Metcalf or an AJ Brown. I thought found that interesting. Um, really, aside from that, it, it, it kind of is what it is at this point. They're just kind of, I mean, they're transitioning more and more into Memphis prep, Memphis installment. Camp is kind of wrapping up. Um, you know, still working on getting, you know, I guess them in overall shape, but really just kind of some specific guys in shape. Um, talked to Royce Newman about kind of playing some different spots on the offensive line. We've talked that point into the ground. Um, that's really about it. We talked to Tyler Knight about playing the slot. And really one of the biggest things that he's had to cope with over the last little bit is uh, reading defenses on the fly. I don't. He played some slot in high school, but I don't think he had to necessarily do as much. Yeah. Um, he mentioned Elijah Moore's helped him a lot in reading different coverages and kind of kind of being better at reading stuff on the fly and kind of going with it and, and, and being quicker with that. He said that was really the biggest thing that he had to get adjusted to, and, and he feels like that's becoming, I guess, more and more – of second nature at the, at this point in time. Um, that's really about all the notes I had from practice um, the other day. The injury front is really kind of the same. You got a couple guys with some minor stuff, but they they really haven't had any debilitating injuries. And from that perspective, they've been a pretty boring fall camp team, which I think is a good thing because, as I think I may have said Wednesday, or I may have said this on the radio show. You know, at this time of year, barring a quarterback battle, the only reason your camp is eventful is because you've either had injuries or off the field issues. So, you know, no one is running out of Walmart with bags of charcoal and stuff. Like it, it's Did been that a fairly it's been a fairly boring camp. Yes, that allegedly happened before. I don't think it was allegedly, uh, but yeah, I mean, look, at, you're exactly right. There's there's not a ton of injuries. There's not a quarterback battle, so it's been a pretty quiet camp. Uh, you'll see everything come to fruition in eight days. Uh, we we still pretty uh, heavy on the on the Grant Tisdale as the backup quarterback if something were to happen. Train. Uh, yeah, right now, um, I think you know. Talk to me in October when they've seen more of Plumley. Could that change? Would Plumley be in the front driver's seat of the backup quarterback's job if he had been in? Uh, if he had been an early enrollee and gone through the spring, maybe. I really don't know the answer to that. I mean, it's, you know, Tisdale's a polished guy. I mean, he certainly talked last week when we talked to him at the end of the week like he was planning on being the backup quarterback. He was really polished dude, kind of went around and shook everyone's hand, which is a small thing, but you don't really see that a lot. Um, as my friend Chase Parham pointed out as we were chatting for something on their site a couple of days ago, um, it's almost like he came from the number one high school football program yeah, in the country. Um, yeah, he, he played at Allen High School. He's probably used to that. Yeah, so I, I think that helps. So, yes, if, if Matt Corral needs a blow or he tweaks an ankle or something happens, um, you know, that, that I would I would put money on it being Grant Tisdale just because it's kind of, it's kind of more of what you know. He's uh, – you know, he's, he's more comfortable. I think they're more comfortable with him because he's been in the program longer. He has a mental edge. And that's really, I think, probably the difference at this point is there's just more familiarity. I keep reading that, you know, Plumlee could have packages. Do you anticipate them using him, like, in regular plays and in packages this season? 
I don't necessarily feel comfortable anticipating much of anything from this offense because I don't think they know. I think that's certainly a possibility because Plumlee is a hell of an athlete. Um, he's a dude that can run. He can throw it as well, obviously. Um, so, yeah, I think that's certain cer- something that is certainly possible. But, like, you know, they could get into a situation, depending on how the game goes, they could get into a situation where it doesn't call for that. So I think it's possible. But like I said, I don't really know. I don't know what to expect from the offense. I think they're going to try to run it a good bit, and I think they're going to try to take a bunch of deep shots on a Memphis secondary that was susceptible to giving up big plays. Yeah. Other than that, I don't really know how this game is going to go. And I don't know what Ole Miss is going to look like from an offensive standpoint. I do know that if they have any prayer in this game, they're going to have to get defensive stops. Um, from a quarterback who doesn't really make a ton of mistakes, I was looking at Brady White saying the other day, I don't think he had any multi-pick games last year. He doesn't, but he also doesn't push the ball down the field. So if you're not throwing it deep, you're probably not going to throw a ton of interceptions. Uh, yeah, but do you really like? I think that's probably kind of the name of the game against a defense that can't really stop anybody. Do you really have to push the football down the field? Just don't make any mistakes. Don't throw it at their chest. Well, sure, but if you're an Ole Miss fan, you're you're hoping that you know you can tackle this year. Uh, yeah, that's very true too. So the tackling will be a big deal for um, what White's a kid that began his career at what Arizona State, transferred over, pretty good player. Like you said, doesn't push it down the field much, doesn't make a bunch of mistakes. We'll have a Memphis beat writer on I think Monday show. I'm working on that right now to kind of give you the the uh, the kind of lowdown on what to expect from Memphis. Um, you know. A pretty good front seven um, and not a great secondary is kind of what it is on a defensive standpoint. And then they lost a, they lost some skill players on the offensive side of the football, but still pretty experienced quarterback returning. And again, they're facing a defense that last year, granted a different defense, didn't put up much resistance to anything. So um, that's really about all I had on the football front. Uh, Ole Miss got obviously some very big basketball news on Wednesday evening, I believe it was, with the uh, – Announcement that Sean Robinson, the six foot eleven floor from like Udo Prize, I think is how you pronounce it, Arizona. The kid's a Chicago native, moved out there when um, I think he was like a like a tenth grade or something like that. Um, six foot eleven forward was the only commitment in Ole Miss's twenty twenty class. Um, is now going to come to school this year. This has been in the works for a while. You had heard rumblings that this was probably going to happen. Guys inside the program felt pretty good. That it was going to happen for the better part, I would say, for about a month and a half, at least from my vantage point, is when I started hearing that. Um, that's big news for Ole Miss. It adds front court depth. It, it's just another another piece to the puzzle in this in this front court overhaul that Kermit Davis has orchestrated in a single offseason, which is honestly fairly remarkable. Um I don't know how much of an impact he's going to make this year. I know it had been reported. I think Neil McCready reported that it was prob like he's it's uh likely that he'll redshirt. I have actually um I'm not disputing what Neil said because Neil's been around a long time. Um obviously very plugged in guy, does a good job. I've heard different. I'll just put it that way. I've heard that maybe playing this year was a uh factored in pretty greatly into his decision to reclassify. So take that what you will again i'm not disputing what neil's heard he's been here a long time covered basketball a long time i'm just telling you what i've heard from from people inside the program is that fair sure um i mean in an ideal situation do you think they play it like i think i think they would like to redshirt him but i also think that at some point you're probably just going to need the kid to play if he's on your roster you can't really afford to redshirt him i mean I don't think redshirting him is, is probably an Ole Miss's best benefit. Let's put it that way. 
Um, well, I don't think they know at this point because if they're fine in the front court, because he is a kid that what I think he's at two, what two hundred fifteen pounds somewhere around there. He hasn't grown into his body, and so ideally, I think they'd prefer to redshirt him and kind of get him stronger and reshape his body, like you see with a lot of kids that come into college programs. And so, if they feel good about what they have in the front court and the depth that they have. With C, with you know a retooled Buffett, with Carlos Curry, what are you going to get from Blake Henson and Luis Rodriguez on the wing? I think if they had the option, they'd probably redshirt him and let him sit. But if the kid is tearing it up throughout October practice, and it's just one of those things where you can't keep him off the floor, then sure, they'll put him on the floor and play him. I think if you gave Kermit Davis a choice, they would be fine without him and they'd redshirt him. I think that would be the thinking. But again, if he gets to the point where it's like you can't keep this kid off the floor, then you got to put your best players on the floor. So I don't think they know right now. I don't think they've seen a – I mean, the coaching staff has obviously seen a ton of him in person. I don't think – obviously, you haven't seen much of him in a college environment against Division I competition. And so I think it's kind of a wait-and-see thing. Um, so I don't think redshirting him is anywhere near certain. I wouldn't even classify it necessarily as likely at this point. I don't think they know. I guess I'll leave it at that. But okay. it's big news for them. They're now at the full scholarship allotment, which is interesting because they now have no more scholarships to give. And I know they're in on Jamie and Brakefield. They believe they're very much in the mix for 2020 prospect Jamie and Brakefield. Something's going to have to give there because the only senior technically departing from this team is is Brian Tyree, and that scholarship is going to go to Jarkel Joyner, the Oxford kid who's at uh, Cal State Bakersfield that transferred in that is redshirting this year and is as a walk-on, is not on scholarship this year. Um, so if they're going to add a piece in the 2020 class, it is going to have, there's going to have to be other roster attrition, which, breaking news, is probably going to happen anyway because you have natural roster, roster attrition every year. But that's just something to keep in mind that if you're going to add someone in the 2020 class – uh, another domino has to fall, basically. Yeah, I mean, and, and roster attrition can be whatever. I mean, Schuler could have a good year and, and take off and, and test the NBA waters or go overseas. I mean, somebody could transfer. I mean, there's there's a lot of different ways to open up a spot. I will say, I mean, and, and I know we don't you know delve into recruiting a ton. If they don't get Breakfield, and I expect that they they will sign Breakfield, but if they don't get him. And Schuler wants to return. Do you think that they? You think there's other guys that they're looking for, or are they happy with their current state of the roster? They're probably pretty happy with the current state of the roster, but you're always going to have your eye on the grad transfer market or just the transfer market in general, or maybe another kid out of high school that they really like. I don't know in terms of who else is on their high school radar at this point. I'll look into that over the next couple of weeks. Um, but I'm never going to tell you something I don't know. So to be completely honest, I don't know the answer to that. But again. There's only so many scholarships, and so if there's not a scholarship available, surely if a dude comes along that they feel good enough about, they'll make one available. That's just kind of the nature of the beast of what has become this business of college basketball. Um, but I think as as far as like if, if they don't sign Breakfield and everything else stays intact, I still think they feel pretty good about their roster as as is. Yeah. Um, so, look, they'll add Breakfield. That, that won't be – or if, if Breakfield wants to come – uh, he will not be, uh, you know, told no because Ole Miss doesn't have an open scholarship. Um, yeah, sure. So anyway, um, I guess we'll start with these mailbag questions because um, we need to run through these before I got to get to practice. Um, we got sent some back, so I'll start from the bottom up. If Ole Miss football wins three games, does Mike or Rich get the job? 
Uh, question, no. who's firing him? Uh, well, first of all, yeah, who's firing him? Second of all, a ghost? if he won three games, then, then Rodriguez had a terrible year and you would not want to hire him. Um, potentially. I, I mean, if the defense is a disaster and they can't Man. stop anybody, I don't know how much you put on it. So I don't necessarily think it's that uh, cut and dry. I, I don't um, think this offense can be good and go three and nine. I'll put it that way. I, I, I don't think that's in the cards. Um. Yeah. I mean. I. I get. I mean. It's certainly not likely. But I. I think more to his point. If. If the season goes poorly and they want to make a move, like I don't think it's as simple as like, well, they sucked and that means Richrod sucked. I think there's a world where that could happen. But to overall point. They don't. Uh. There's no one in place to fire him. I don't see them going three and nine. I don't see Matt Luke. Uh. Not being the head coach of Ole Miss at this year. Um. For a number of reasons. But if nothing else, just because. Uh. Just because. Um. There's, there's just no one in place to do it. There's no leadership in this school. Ole can't make a decision about selling alcohol. They're not firing a football coach. Yeah, exactly. Um, Let's see. Who would you rather have a beer with, Mike, Matt, or Rich? Um, I'm going to go Rich Rod just off principle because he's a pretty funny dude. Although Matt Luke seems like a really cool guy in the sense that like he seems like a pretty normal guy to have a beer with. So yeah, I'll go I would, Rich I would Rod being Matt, actually. I would just want to talk to Matt. <laughs> Um, crazy two years, three years now. Uh, let's see, what's the next one? I lost my place because this damn internet. Um, oh, out of Ole Miss's stable of running backs, who underperforms, who plays the expected, who breaks out? Um, if you're looking for a guy who's going to play better than maybe most people expected, it's undoubtedly going to Snoop Connor. Um, who plays as expected? I would go Scotty Phillips. Who underperforms? I would say Jerion Ely, and I'd say that in the sense that I think he's a good player. I think he's going to have a fine year, but with the expectations placed on a five-star kid like that, um, I'm not sure if he'll have enough carries to meet them. So I say that from that vantage point, not necessarily thinking that yep. he's going to struggle this year, I, I, if that I makes sense. There. I think the expectations on a five-star kid is probably too high. So if you're going to say who underperforms expectations, it has to be him. That's not a shot at the kid. It's probably just his expectations on a freshman are probably too high at his sense. Facts about the moon. It has a synchronous. I don't even know. I went to Ole Miss. I don't know how to spell that. I pronounce that. Uh, this is the moon an alien spy satellite. I'm going to tuck that for later. Um, <laughs> who has a better chance of going 8-4, and four, Ole Miss, Arkansas, or Vanderbilt? Which out Ole of Miss. these teams performs the best? Ole Miss. Um, I mean, I would. It's Ole Miss because the other two don't have quarterbacks in play. They don't have quarterbacks that can be really good. Uh, I think Corral's ceiling is really good. Um, it's not Arkansas because they play the same schedule Ole Miss does, and they're without a quarterback. And I think they've got a pretty decent uh, non-conference schedule. I could be wrong there. Um, but I just Ben Hicks and Nick Starkle aren't the worst options, though. Hicks, Particularly Hicks with a kid that's familiar with the system. He might be familiar with the system. I'm telling you, he's horrible. Uh, I watched that kid play last year at SMU. Good God. I think Stark will eventually win that job, though. Vanderbilt doesn't get any favors with their West opponents, but there's eight wins on Vanderbilt's schedule. I'd say right, Purdue, Northern Illinois, Ole Miss, that's three, UNLV four, at South Carolina's five, Kentucky oh. six, East Tennessee State seven, Tennessee's eight. I'm saying that's eight possible wins. I'm not saying they're going to win. Yeah, dude, South Carolina's going to get physically beat up, man. Have you seen their schedule? No, I don't guess I have. But, I mean, I know they don't play Clemson until the end. 
Uh, here, let me go. Let me go dive through South Carolina's schedule for you, real quick. It's not fun. Also, where does Vanderbilt play Purdue? At Purdue. Yeah, I don't know, man. Purdue's good. Yeah, well, Vanderbilt went into uh, South Bend last year, and you can make an argument that they could slash should have won that game, uh, particularly early in the year. Here we go. Uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, Charleston Southern, Alabama, at Missouri, Kentucky, at Georgia, Florida, at Tennessee, Vanderbilt, Appalachian State, at A&M, and Clemson to close the year. They're catching catching, uh, Vanderbilt November 2nd is why I say that. We'll see. You always argue, though, you want Vanderbilt late in the year because they're low on depth. Yeah, maybe. But I'm saying if they're going to get to eight wins, that's definitely possible. I mean, they could. They could. That would not shock me if they went to South Carolina in November and won. Okay. Well, what's more shocking though, Ole Miss going to Missouri and winning, or Vanderbilt going to South Carolina and winning? I think both are about the same, right? I would lean Missouri. Um, Ole Miss winning at Missouri is more shocking because I think Missouri is much better than South Carolina is. But you know, oh yeah, but same level for sure. Um, I mean, I, it's almost a randable because Arkansas, like like I said, I don't think the quarterback ceiling is very high for them. Which potential NCAA playoff team, i.e. Alabama Clemson, could lose two games and still make the playoffs if no one, which one-loss team has the best shot? Well, I mean, pretty much all those teams are getting in with one loss regardless of something insane happening. Um, Clemson's not so, losing two games because the ACC is awful. Alabama's probably not losing two games, but it would go like they lose one game in the West and then Georgia beats them in the SEC title game and then there's all the kinds of raucous for saying Saban and Alabama deserve to get in the playoff. That's how that looks, right? Yeah, I mean, Alabama can't lose to Auburn and do that, though, because you can't lose two games in a row. So you'd have to lose to A&M or LSU. They're not losing to LSU and, and Tuscaloosa. Uh, they play A and M at College Station, so yeah, it's the path is Alabama loses in College Station, loses to Georgia, and still gets in somehow. Um, is depth? The, uh, that's not a mailbag question. <laughs> Never mind. Um, there we go. There we go. There we go. 2000 LSU played in the national championship game after losing to Arkansas in overtime. Their title hopes were all but gone. Alas. Alas, a West Virginia loss gave them a second chance with two losses, and they won the national title. The head coach at the time, at Rich Rodriguez, is hiring him a We Are Ole Miss moment. Um, no, because he knows what he's doing, and he's won Coach of the Year. Like, uh, he's won Coach of the Year in two different conferences, so no? Yeah, no, I mean, look, was that game against Pitt, the clunker, uh, kept them out of a national title game against Ohio State? That they probably went, yeah. But if no, you're asking if that in and of itself is on on brand, we are Ole Miss. Sure, if you want to put it that way. But hiring Rich Rodriguez, I don't, I would not categorize as that. Yeah. What result versus Memphis would make you change your mind on the outlook of the season? Bad or good? Um. um Corral plays well, and the defense gives up less than thirty points. Yeah. How about win the game? I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, if they could win. Uh, 41 to 40, and I'm still not thinking they're going to win more than six games. But if they win this game, you know, 38 to 21, and Corral plays well, and throws 350 and no picks, that would change my outcome of, of what I think they could do this season. And vice versa, if they give up 40 and only score 50, you know, seven, 14, 17 points, it's kind of yeah. like, oh, this could be a long year. Although, so I have basically I've kind of decided 
I've gotten asked this question a thousand times, but I've kind of basically I kind of outlined what my thoughts on this on radio as far as like if Ole Miss loses to Memphis, are they screwed in a vacuum? No. So basically, I look at the month of September as a test for Ole Miss. And if well, actually, God tells me that the Memphis game is August, I'm going to kick you in between your legs. So it's all <laughs> September. It's all the same thing. I look at it as a three-part test. And, yes, you could fail part one and still do well on the other two parts and be okay and get a passing grade. But what are the odds if you flub part one that you're going to pass part two and three? Obviously, part two and three, I'm talking about Arkansas and California. Um, certainly possible, but if you throw up a stinker on the first part of the test, what are the odds you're going to rebound on the second and third part? Yeah, Possible, uh, but slim. And obviously, yeah. the fourth part is a bonus with Southeastern Louisiana. That's a bonus that you have the answer to. So if you flub that one, you got bigger issues on your hands. You should probably get literacy tested. So you, you're saying you've ever done that? Uh, I'm saying I've done, maybe done that once or twice in college. Um, <laughs> but basically, that's how I'm, I'm choosing to look at it. Is yeah, that's fair. But you can't again. You can't look at the season in the vacuum. You can't look at that in a vacuum either, because the Memphis game is important not only because obviously this whole September and the path to seven or six uh, bowl eligibility is basically what I'm getting at is winning two of those three games. If you pass two of the three parts of the test, you get a passing grade. Yes, I know if you add that up, it's a 66, but you're adding in. The Southeast Louisiana is a one. 75, you pass the test. But you're also trying to re-engage a fan base who's completely apathetic. And so the first two games, the first two parts of the test probably matter more than the third. Yes? Sure. Uh, those probably count for 40%. So that, that, count for 20. That's why there's an added pressure to win the Memphis game. But at the same time, they could lose the Memphis game and beat Arkansas and Cal and still be okay. But again, if you lose to Memphis, how likely is that? Not very, but possible. Sure. Yeah, so, I, I think that's a good job of categorizing it. Yeah, so that's basically how I'm looking at the first month of this season for Ole Miss. Is it's a three-part test, and you got to pass at least two of them. And if you pass all three, congrats, you get a master's degree. And let me tell you, that doesn't get you shit. I have one. Um, <laughs> you still not got your degree yet? I need to go find it. Um, let's see... Did you know Kennedy's parade route was changed hours before the parade started? Jesus, man, don't hit me with that this early. Um, we'll save that for Monday. We say that. Whatever. When next time we talk about a conspiracy theory, I will remember that one because that just kind of freaked me out. Higher number: Ole Miss offense yards gained or Ole Miss defense yards given up? Uh, I'm gonna go yards given up. Because yeah. I think Ole Miss is going to have to hold Memphis to field goals, force a couple of takeaways or giveaways, whatever you want to call it, turnovers in general. So I actually think Ole Miss, and I think the offense will have some growing pains. I think Ole Miss could get to could win the game despite being outgained. So I will go Ole Miss defense gives up more yards. But saying that, I still think there's a path to winning in that. Yeah, I think that's completely accurate. Um. I tried to ask this on Shutdown Fullcast. I don't know what that is. They didn't answer it. Oh, that's, that's hilarious. It's a SB Nation podcast. Okay. Um, best sports movies of all time. Mine, Hot Rod, Nacho Libre, Napoleon, Dynamite, Never Ending Story, Blades of Glory. What? <laughs> Look, man, I, as I've said before, I am not a movie guy uh, or TV guy, so you'll, you'll have to take this one. I've never uh, seen like, Hot Rod, but I know what it is. Nacho Libre I thought was stupid. Napoleon Dynamite was funny when I was 11 because it was just the cool thing to quote when you were in fifth grade at the lunch table or on the playground. 
He says that's a sports movie because there's a tetherball scene, karate, and multiple flashbacks to Iowa high school football. Okay, fair enough. Uh, sure. I love Blades of Gory. I think that's one of the more underrated PG-13 Will Ferrell movies. Um, I'm not even sure how many PG-13 movies Will Ferrell's in, but I find that movie hilarious. I don't know what never-ending story is. It says it's equestrian. Um, So whatever, man. I'll take your word for it. Um, And then he says, if you want me to back up my list of movies, get in contact with me. No, I think I'll just take your word for it, pal. Um, Where do you think Lawson Treadwell goes after he leaves the Vikings slash where would he thrive? I think that's a typo. Um where would Laquan Treadwell thrive? Um, again, I don't know. I don't know enough about Laquan Treadwell's um, situation in Minnesota um, to make an ed- educated, I guess, statement on that. I know he struggles with getting separation, running routes. Doesn't necessarily have blazing speed, that which helps in the NFL. Um, and it hasn't worked out. Honestly, it would be fun to get my former boss, Courtney Cronin, who now covers the Vikings for ESPN on, to maybe describe that. We might actually look into doing that at some point. I think that might be kind of interesting on a slower day. Um, where would he thrive? I really don't know the answer to this. You want to take a stab at this? I don't know. Uh, and I consider myself boy. pretty knowledgeable in the NFL. I still just don't know. I, I mean... I mean, I'm, not, I'm nowhere near as tuned into that. I know this sounds simplistic... But he's gotten beat out by Thielen. They have Stephon Diggs. Like, I know this sounds simple, simplistic, and I'm not trying to be a smartass, but a place with little receiver talent, like a Tampa or a Miami or something like that, yeah. it just seems about, like he's gotten buried on guys that they've they've hit on late in the draft or guys they didn't necessarily expect to be good. Now, Stephon Diggs doesn't really fit in that category. I'm thinking more along the lines of Thielen. So... Maybe a younger football team that's rebuilding, you know, young quarterback, not much talent around him, uh, New York Jets, something like that? Yeah, I was going to say the Jets. That, that feels right. There's not a ton of talent there at the receiver core. So, yeah, the, the Jets feel like a good pick. Rank SEC schools by in-game management of head coaches from best to worst? Ooh. Um, I don't have enough time for that. I don't, I don't. Let, let's, I'll tell you what, let's just do the West. It's seven schools. Um, I mean, we've seen one year of Joe Moorhead, but he's got to be near the bottom because he didn't give Kylan Hill the football and continuously slammed Nick Fitzgerald into his offensive line. I'm putting uh, Luke six. I'm putting – we're drawing five. Uh, I'd probably go Morris five. Although there's not really a whole lot you can tell from Chad Morris because last year was just such a weird – that's fair. Yeah, I'm fine. That, that's good. More, and, and I may put Luke too. I think for the most part, Ed more. kind of manages a game okay. I think I'd go Gus and then Ed and then Jimbo and Saban. Okay. We went uh, a reverse chronological order. Yeah, towards the top. I, I think people gathered that. I don't. I don't <laughs> think people. I think people understood we were not ranking Joe Moorhead first on that. Um, I, yeah, I think that's fair as far as the East. Uh, I, I don't Kirby know. Is not one. I can tell you that. Kirby is not number one. Kirby's – I'm going to go four. Okay. Well, let's uh, just go bottom up. Who's the worst? Do what? I don't know who's the worst in the East. The East has uh, some pretty good football coaches. I know Kirby kind of you know pissed down his leg a couple times with some – if you want to answer the second part of this question, what's the worst head coaching decision you've ever witnessed in a game? I know it's recency bias, but his fake punt at midfield in the SEC title game is up there. That was special. You just put the quarterback in on punt team, hope they didn't see it. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's a two-parter. I get maybe being aggressive or whatever and trying to just win the game because you felt like it was uh, kind of slipping out of your grasp. But it's one going forward in that situation when your defense had played pretty well and Alabama was on a backup quarterback. And the second part is, hey, here's our five-star backup quarterback we're going to throw in on the punt team. Nothing to see here. Where's punting? <laughs> He's going to go cover the punt. I don't know how to rank the East. I, I, I think I – think, <sighs> Is it crazy to say the East has better coaches than the West? I think that's a little out there, yeah. Uh, Why? I mean, Saban is, is better than, uh, um, crap, Kirby. Okay. Uh, Jimbo's better than Mullen. Uh, oh, I disagree there. I mean, okay. I mean, I, I'm, man, I think this has got a chance to blow up this board. I really do. Why? Well, he won 10 games his first year. He did, but he also lost half his recruiting class because he recruited idiots. Uh, he's not going to recruit well. I, th- I think he's going to recruit. He's never recruited well. Okay, but he's never been at Florida either. Yeah, but he, he recruited ter- he recruited badly at Mississippi State and took him to number one in the country. I think there's a baseline of well, kids you're just going to get at Florida too. that he, he could turn. Find the Dak Prescott at quarterback, sure he'll do well. But he found so a I- Nick Fitzgerald too, who is a really damn good player. Before Joe Moorhead didn't know how to use him. I mean, he was fine. Um, I don't think you're winning nine or ten games with Nick Fitzgerald at quarterback. That team goes ten and two minimum under Dan Mullen last year. Okay. The way he used him at the end of 2017 and that number one defense in the country, they lose five games under Dan Mullen. I didn't say they lose five. I don't think they went ten. They don't lose to anyone other than Alabama and maybe I don't even know who else. They lose to Alabama. They lose to LSU. I'm trying to think their losses. I mean, LSU won that game really without a. LSU won that game with like one offensive touchdown. I would I would disagree that they lose to LSU. Yeah, LSU sat on the football too once they realized they couldn't score. Now does Mullen make them score? I don't know. Probably a little bit more than they did, but they don't lose to Kentucky or Florida. They don't lose to Florida. I, I, Kentucky would be a toss. Kentucky was good last year. People just kind of gloss over it. Yeah, but they they lost to I don't know they were fine they lost to Tennessee, um, and had a quarterback that literally couldn't throw. Now, granted, said so a state, but I would give I would pick Nick Fitzgerald over whatever that kid's name was Wilson. Anyway, I don't know how to rank it. Um, I we got to move on. I keep hearing Arizona President Robert Robbins is being mentioned as a possible UM Chancellor candidate. If that happens, do you see Rich Rod Bolting given Robbins fired him in Arizona? No. Uh, do some research on how Rich Rod left Arizona. That is, the, the, the two points you're trying to make line up do not line up. Yeah, no, it'd be fine. Um, I don't think Robert Robbins is getting the job, though. Um, does Eli Manning make it into the Hall of Fame? Yes. Yeah, in my opinion, yes. He's won two Super Bowls. A lot of these people saying he doesn't is recency bias because they've been so bad the last, what, four years basically since that one playoff team they had. Um, but then it doesn't help when you have morons like Booger McFarlane saying that Eli's never made the playoffs other than the two Super Bowl years. It's like, man, just like like pull up his Wikipedia. Like at least pretend like you're trying. <laughs> he said that on a Monday Night Football broadcast last year. And even if he did, even if that was accurate, what's it matter? Well, that would be a little different. I granted, two Super Bowls is two Super Bowls. But if he made the playoffs twice in his career and it bids as two Super Bowls, that would be different. But again, it's it doesn't matter. It's not accurate. Like I mean, sure, but he, he won. I think he was the wild card team each time he won the Super Bowl, wasn't he? Yeah, sure. But Joe Flacco and Trent Dilfer have Super Bowls. Um, 
out of the loaded Ole Miss running back rooms, we, I think you sent this twice. Um, if you were the AD and Ole Miss football loses to Memphis and Arkansas, how would you get people to go to the games besides allowing alcohol sales? Uh, maybe pay them to attend the games. I, That's you're, a good you're, point. You're toast you at that point. Them. You lose to Memphis and Arkansas. How you get people to the games, I don't know. Maybe have Keith Carter fight a live bear semi-pro style. I don't know. Other than that, I have no idea. You can do what North Korea does and, and just make your fans go, like force them with a legal action if they don't. Other yeah, that, I'm not sure how well that would turn out, but I guess that's I mean, certainly an option. I mean, I'm just saying, you, you're asking what you could do. Uh, that'd be one of them, because otherwise there's going to be 12,000 people there. Yeah. Um. Again, he sent me the facts about the moon thing. You've sent all these questions twice, buddy. Um, the SEC seems to be loaded in NCAA men's hoops. Does this help or hold, hurt Ole Miss when trying to get to the tournament? I think you help. can either look at it either way. It helps because, you know, more likely if you win a conference game, that's going to be a quality win. It's going to help your numbers. It's going to help your league. Um, if you don't win enough games in that good of a league to get to the NCAA tournament, yeah, maybe it's a product of your league being good, but were you really that good? So I think it definitely helps. Look, man, if, if you go 8-10 and 10 to 9-9, nine and nine, you're probably going to be in the tournament this year. If you can't go 8-10 to 9-9 nine nine in this league, you don't deserve to be in. So I think it's a good thing. LSU athletic program has multiple incredible accusations of recruiting vi- recruitment violations. Does anything come of it? Does it all get swept under the rug? Um, no, it does not get swept under the rock. I think the hospital thing does. I don't think the Will Wade thing does. Is that fair? Uh, you think the hospital thing does? Yeah, man, they keep saying non-issue. I, who's digging into that? Okay, I, I think I think they're going to do something. Like they still kids like money from kids that were supposed to go like the kids answer. Like, oh, I'm not I'm not that. dismissing the grossness of it, but I just I, I don't. That seems like too big of a fish for someone outside of like you know the FBI to fry. Okay, or the SEC, whatever you want, whatever jurisdiction. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know. Um, what two? What games can Ole Miss absolutely not afford to lose besides Southeastern Louisiana and New Mexico State? Don't include those. Which upset victory besides State and Alabama would give Ole Miss the biggest boost in recruiting? One game doesn't generally give boosts in recruiting. These kids don't necessarily think about stuff like that. Uh, I would give a game that they absolutely cannot afford to lose. I would say. Arkansas and Vanderbilt. Yeah, I agree. If you if you gave Matt Luke two wins, and he was first of all he was picking Mississippi State, but if you said, hey, out of like uh, Memphis, Cal, Arkansas, and Vandy, you get to pick two wins and two losses, you're absolutely taking that to see win. So yeah, those are the two games that if you want the season to go like it should, uh, you, you need to beat those teams. What games can Ole Miss absolutely not? Or no, sorry, that was the second. The second part is what would give Ole Miss the big what. Do, the recruiting thing aside, what would be a big upset? I'd say beating LSU at home. You get them at home. You get yeah. them kind of late in the year. People really get their rocks off to beating LSU here um, for good reason. I'm not necessarily poking fun at that. I don't see them winning that game, but if you're looking for an upset that would really kind of generate momentum yeah. amongst the fan base, it's beating LSU. Yeah, and I can make an argument if A&M has a good year, if they had beaten Clemson or something. But, yeah, if you're just for right now. I would agree with that, too. I'd put them in the same category, but I think LSU, just because of who it is, it holds more teeth. Yeah, that's fair. Besides the offensive line staying healthy and the defense performing better, yeah, besides those two things, um, what else do you feel is paramount to Ole Miss's success the upcoming season? That's pretty easy. Matt Corral's got to be good. 
He's played in four games in limited capacity. He's being talked about as the proven guy because he's the oldest guy in the room by default. But you haven't seen a ton of Matt Corral. He's got to be good. Yeah, yeah. What 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 level is important? Like, is it Matt Corral being good, offensive line playing well, or is it vice versa that Matt Luke would rather have? Offense. It ranks like this: offensive line uh, one, offensive line two, Matt Corral three, defense. Okay. What do you think Kermit is going to do with Sean Robinson coming aboard for the 2019 season? Redshirt or giving minutes? I'm not ignoring your question. Refer to the beginning of this podcast because we, I would say we answered that pretty well. Yeah, that's certainly fair. I mean, uh, we kind of laid out what, how he gets on the floor and how he redshirts. If I told you three years ago the basketball team in 2019 would have the luxury of redshirting, again, I'm – not hearing necessarily the same thing, a top 200 player, but certainly possible. Yeah, what would you I mean, say? I guess, I guess it's fair to say that they do have the possibility of redshirting him. Uh, most no, days. they do. I just don't think it's as certain as it's necessarily being reported. Again, I'm not disputing sure. what was reported out there. Again, Neil has been around way longer and right. I have way more way more or way he is a very plugged in guy. I'll put it that way. I'm just telling you I've heard a, a slightly different but certainly possible. Um, yeah, anyway, what I'm getting at is, though, like, usually that's not even in the discussion when, when a top 200 guy comes to Ole Miss. It's, hey, he's going to get on the floor immediately. There is at least a possibility this kid redshirt. Um, that's insane to me that, that a top 200 kid has the possibility of redshirting after one year of Kermit Dave. Um, yeah, that's fair. Um, I would say that's I would say that wouldn't necessarily – if you're, you say, what would you say? I'd say it'd be a little surprising. But the difference between Kermit Davis and – or the difference between where Ole Miss was under Andy Kennedy and where the program Kermit Davis wants to take it is not necessarily getting the top 200 kid and having the option to recruit him. It's hitting on those kids more consistently, and I guess that works hand-in-hand. Hand. It's getting more of those kids more often. Yeah, and obviously that gives you more depth and more opportunity to redshirt. Right, so I, I guess that's that's what I would say. Um, we blew through that pretty quickly. Uh, I got a couple more. Last year, the Rebels didn't cover the spread once during SEC play. Zero and eight. This year, what's their record against the spread in SEC play? Some of that's going to average out. How about uh, three and five? Yeah, that that that's probably fair. Because they could beat Arkansas and Vanderbilt and not cover the spread, I think. Mm, I'm a, it's going to be hard against Arkansas. I don't yeah, that's, that's probably fair. Definitely Vanderbilt is possible, I think. But they could also, you know, lose to A&M, LSU, and Alabama and technically cover the spread if they hang in there better than people think because the Bama is going to be a huge one. LSU is going to be multiple scores and so is A&M and they get both of those games at home. I could actually, I wonder, you know what? I might go out on a really sexy limb here and say four and four against the spread. I'm wondering what what do you think the A and M and LSU lines are going to be? Ah, uh, you, you gotta. I mean, Bama. You can A and M and LSU. Talk to me when that. I I, I don't think it, I couldn't give you Pencil an accurate 11? guess. Like, talk to me in October. Yeah, I'm just trying to think what they would be if the game were this weekend. LSU, I'm going to go fourteen and a half. A uh, and M, I'd go twelve. That's hot. I'm talking about right now. If they faced off yeah. right now, two touchdowns at home is a lot. Yeah, well, people don't think Ole Miss is, Vegas doesn't think Ole Miss is going to be good. No, I don't disagree. I'm just, that's a lot at home. Preseason top ten team against a team that's projected to go four and eight. Fourteen and a half at home doesn't seem that much, does it? Uh, well, I mean, you're getting you're getting three because you're playing at home. 
Uh, I mean, LSU's a 17-and-a-half-point favorite on a neutral field. Man, that's probably fair, I guess. That's, again, today. If Ole Miss yeah. blows the doors off of Memphis and Arkansas or beats them or beats Cal or whatever, and LSU kind of stumbles, obviously it could change. If Ole Miss is a disaster and LSU looks like they could actually contend for a dark horse for a college football playoff spot, it could go to 21. But that's where I'm setting it right now. I think that's fair. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's not unfair, yeah. Um, the best logo in college sports, worst is certainly Tony the Landshark. Um. That was that was the question. I, that was not my opinion. Um, best logo in college sports? Um, I don't necessarily like Notre Dame, but I think the Fighting Irish guy is pretty cool. Yeah, that's, yeah, sure. Um, and if there's like, I, I I don't get into like uniforms and logos and stuff. Like my friends hate me because I won't talk about them because I just don't care, uh, and I can't like quantify stuff like this. I don't necessarily put a lot of stock into it, but I do appreciate a good logo and a good uniform when I see it. Um, something about Syracuse football's orange helmets are really appeasing to me when they had the blue S. I don't know yeah, why. Yeah, blue S. That do look good. Um, I mean, the U's kind of iconic. I'm not necessarily in love with that logo. Um, the Florida State Spear is kind of cool. LSU's like painted tiger thing that they put at midfield like the tiger eye or whatever is iconic yeah. uh, it's not necessarily my favorite um i mean you're talking about longhorn the texas longhorn deal um i'm trying to think if there's a cool one i'm missing that's really about it i think um i've always liked vanderbilt helmets okay the black ones uh i like the gold ones Okay. Um. So, yeah. Um. Let's see if we had any more. I think somebody DM'd me a couple. If Ole Miss had landed Nicobe Dean and that other DB that signed with LSU, I don't remember his name. Radar I actually, Jones. Yeah, yeah. Wait, well, who? Radar something. Yeah. Uh, I thought for a second they were talking about the kid out of Lafayette that went to Alabama. Oh, okay. I was... I, I was thinking of the kid, the uh, no, that you're, that's who he's talking about. I was thinking, I, I don't think who I, I, I don't think, yeah, I don't think he's talking about Turnage. Um, although he probably it doesn't matter if they had landed him and the Kobe Dean, would it change your outlook on the season as far as record? Uh, yeah, sure, because you're putting the Kobe Dean and another defensive back on that defense. Uh, yes, he said. Is, is he is the Kobe Dean worth a game? Yeah, I think would it be easily six and six, maybe eight and four? I don't know about easily. I think they could, they'd have a much better shot at winning six games. Eight's a little wild to me. Yeah, I mean, eight's gonna be wild under any scenario. Um, I don't really know if it changes my prediction from six and six to seven and seven or seven and five, though. I would go from five and seven to six and six. So yeah, I think they're worth a game because I've had them at five and seven all off season. Okay. Um, I think that's all the questions we had. There we go. We got through them. Uh, anything else going on that we missed? Uh, Jacob Waggett's back through, I think, either seven or eight. He's innings. shoving, man. I watched a game a couple weeks ago in Tampa where he pitched really, really well, and he should have. He deserved a better fate than he got well, last night against the Dodgers. Did you see what happened last night? No, I did not stay up for that. He, uh, My man either pitched seven or eight innings of one-hit baseball, left the game up 2-0 against the Los Angeles Dodgers, and they gave up three runs in the bottom of the ninth to lose. Yeah. Kids pitching well. 
And he bet yeah. on himself. He dra- he took an undrafted free agent contract after a I can't remember sophomore year. Junior. Junior. Was it? Yeah, he pitched 2013 at the end. I don't know 14, why I thought he was a draft eligible 15. sophomore. Anyway, um, and it's paying off. He's in the show and he's pitching really well. And it looks like he's actually going to be a pretty like he'll, it, when when they flip from rebuilding to contending, he's got a chance to crack the back end of that rotation. Yep, and that it's a little bit. I'm just going to be honest. It's a little bit of an indictment on Ole Miss that he didn't do much here. Yeah, what he was a one five zero whip guy. Yeah, I mean he never. But he had started. really good stuff. Like it was always like, okay, this kid's close. Yeah, he could make the postseason roster in fourteen. Um, in fifteen, he was one of their best relievers, but he probably should have been a lot better than he was. Um, yeah, I think he would have helped that sixteen team pretty immensely. Do what? I think he would have helped that sixteen oh, team pretty yeah. immensely. He'd have, well, he'd have been in the rotation, and he might have been the Friday night guy. I mean, he's the number. He's the, for all intents and purposes, the Blue Jays' ace right now. Um, yeah, because with respect to Brady Bramlett, he was their Friday night guy on that team, and it's kind of like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was it was Bramlett, Parkinson, and Chad Smith. So I think Wag probably cracked that rotation. Yeah, I think it's Bramlett, Parkinson, uh, Waggis Pack. Not in that order, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, That's Little, little bit of an indictment that he didn't pitch well at Ole Miss. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. I'd agree with that. Um, that's really all the questions we have. Um, the next time we will be on a podcast, it will be game week, uh, which is nuts to me. Hey, it's game week this week, Brian. Yeah, no, I know. You got week zero this week. I'm not discounting that. I'm enjoying my last week of freedom. I'm playing in a golf tournament at Old Waverly. Um a two-day thing, Saturday and Sunday. I'm going over tomorrow, staying in a hotel, uh, hanging out. I'm going to drink a couple beers, maybe more than a couple. Um, there you go. I'm going to enjoy High the sun. tonight. We have actual football that counts tonight. It started last night. We did it. So I, I woke up. I went. And, uh, I was at my girlfriend's house in Monroe last night. But we, the reason I drove over there because we were at a remote broadcast in Weston, Mississippi at Colin yesterday because they had a game, Silva Bay and... Uh, Brookhaven Academy. Yeah, we're playing. Uh, so they had games last night, and there's a two-parter. I did not stick around for the second part of the remote because I had practice today. Um, but they had games last night. So I think you started last night, technically, right? There you go, yeah. Brookhaven um, Academy won last night. Now that I saw that on Twitter now that you uh, you mentioned it. Yeah, so it is It is definitely that time of year. That's pretty cool. They got I mean, football seasons upon us. They got a pretty cool trophy. They stuck the trophy on our uh, – on our set yesterday, it was a pretty cool deal. So, anyway, football season here to Collins Point. I just meant if you're interested in Ole Miss, um, it is game week the next time we'll talk. We'll have a Memphis beat writer hopefully on Monday to kind of get you in the mood. Um, we'll do some picks on Wednesday. And then on Friday, we'll just – I'm trying to figure out how we're going to do this thing as far as the podcast, like stuff, how, we're, how the week's going to go. I think we should do picks on stuff on Wednesday because you have the Thursday night football games and all that. Yeah. Um, maybe we could just do the Thursday picks and Friday picks or whatever on Wednesday and then hit the weekend picks on Friday. I don't know. Friday podcast will probably be, they're going to be a little up in the air sometimes of me traveling to these games, but I think it'll probably be pretty game matchup centric. Um, so that's kind of what you'll have to look forward to with this podcast. If you like this podcast, tell your friends about it. Um, you can get it anywhere you get podcasts, Apple, iTunes. I appreciate you guys listening. Feedback's been pretty sweet. Um, we're continuing to grow. 
I'm pretty pumped about it. We've been talking all summer when we've been bored talking about conspiracy theories and other dumb shit that uh, it was going to be kind of take off once football season got here. And guess what? It's here. Damn right it is. So it feels pretty good. I I know I say I'm not the biggest college football fan and I prefer the NFL, but I still love watching college football. Like I I think the 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 way the sport is structured is stupid, but I appreciate the pageantry. The games are fun to watch. Like just having football back is just nice. So I'm pretty pumped about it. Yeah, I mean, there's something to watch every night of the week, pretty much. Yeah, and then when you get the NFL back, though, too, it's like like that, that weekend after Labor Day where you're going to have college and NFL games on on Thursday, more college on uh, Friday, and then Saturday and sun, uh, Saturday and then NFL Sunday. It, you can't really beat that at all. Nope, nope. nope. I mean, it is, it, is, it is the tits. And then... And then when it gets to October and you get MLB Yeah, playoffs, you, get play, you get playoff baseball games, particularly on the Tuesday and Wednesdays. Yeah, that's the life, man. Yeah, that's uh, I'm looking forward to it, and we're getting we're closer to that than you think, because like this first month of the football season is going to fly by, and then it's going to be here before you know it. So I'm pretty jacked up. I got to go to practice. I'm running late. Do you have anything else? Because I'm going to get nope. out of here. Get out of here. All right. Well, like and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, rate it four or five stars. If you do that, you can say anything you want about me. I think one of the reviews we had said it's not the worst thing we've ever listened to. So that's a damn fine compliment in my book. Um, so like and subscribe. But uh, we'll be back at it on Monday. We'll game week Memphis centric. We're going to get this rolling. We'll have some uh, some against the spread picks, some gambling picks, some different stuff for you. Uh, I got some bunch of ideas that we're going to kind of. Uh, um, I guess unload the artillery for the uh, artillery. I don't even think I said that right, for the lack of a better word. So Showing that old Miss education off. Yeah, so this podcast is a freight train from hell, uh, to, quote, um, to quote Blades of Glory. So, for Colin Brister, I am Brian Scott Rippey. The People's Podcast will be back on Monday for Football Game Week. A Super Talk Mississippi yeah. media production.